We just sang a song very fitting to our relationship to God, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ saying, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come. Come to me. The great God of heaven through his son Jesus Christ saying, Come. Not an evangelist saying, Come, to be born again, but the Lord Jesus Christ saying, Come to find rest for your souls. And what a wonderful place to find that rest. And notice it's not difficult when you get there because the yoke is easy and the burden is light. Open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. It is my privilege to speak further on behalf of our God and to come to what I have categorized as relational attributes. And I must tell you that the first three categories have been to get to this category in my conviction and excitement with the Lord. And I hope that these relational attributes will become very meaningful to you. Most systematic theologies only cover the inherent attributes, those parts of God's nature like omnipotence or omniscience, eternality, immortality, independence, and so forth, or they'll go and extend themselves into communicable attributes, those ones that we call transferable or participatory, like holiness or love or goodness or kindness, things that we can show ourselves to others. I have added, and they also sometimes include these, the declarative attributes that God creates and God providentially works in the world in order to reveal himself to us. And he's written scripture to reveal himself. And he's given his spirit to reveal himself. And he has saved us to reveal himself. But this fourth category, I find no one seems to care very much about it when it comes to the attributes of God. And that doesn't make us special. It doesn't make me special. It just makes the Lord special for showing us something that I hope will be pleasant to your soul. Relational attributes, meaning... Those character traits that God has that help Him and encourage us to relate to Him and have a relationship with Him, they're what make Him personal, and it's what encourages us to go to Him and have a personal relationship with Him. That's what I mean by relational attributes. God's holiness does not help us relate to Him. God's holiness separates Him from us. Now, when we consider God's holiness, we also consider that Jesus Christ has made us everlastingly holy by the legal sacrifice of himself on the cross for us. Yet, when we're considering holiness, it seems to set God at a distance from us. And all these relational attributes are going to bring him very close and very personal. Lord, help me to do this and so that you will get the pleasure out of it that I've had preparing it. The attributes we've covered so far tend to leave the Lord a little academic, a little conceptual, a little theological, and a little distant, and I want to make him very personal. It's time to consider those traits of his that show an incredible degree of personal relationship with creatures, especially with men. You know, God could exist as deists and others say he does apart from other rational beings. That other rational beings that have feelings and think and choose and decide are separate from God because he's at a distance. 
But no, there's a whole lot more in the Word of God that's going to tell us that is not the way it is. And thank you, Lord, for putting those things in your Word and for teaching them to us. These attributes affect our personal relationship with God. They assist it, they promote it, and they encourage it as we see that God has made it very possible for us to have a close relationship with Him. You know, we could spend a lot of time on these, and I'm not going to. I'm going to spend some time on a number of them over this sermon in, in, a, in a couple of weeks to, to come. For Eric, that just spoke about wanting to consider the approachability of God, this whole section is the approachability of God. This whole section is the relational ability of God and the relational desire of God to have a personal relationship with his children. And he first of all chose us to be his children, therefore the relationship ought to be practiced and fulfilled by us so that we realize all that we can from it and that we give God all that he desired from it. Each category of attributes brings us closer to God. Let me show you that. In Genesis chapter 1, God's omnipotence, which is an inherent attribute of his, is obvious. Because God can say, let there be light. And there is light. And God can say, let the firmament. And God can say, let the earth bring forth. And the firmament does what God said for it to do. And the firmament does, and the earth does what God said for it to do because of God's omnipotence, His unlimited power. And so that is an inherent attribute. That is part of God's nature. That's what makes Him God. And it's what we have typically assigned to God as those closest attributes of His. He doesn't share them with us. We have no omnipotence. They're not declarative because it's just part of His nature. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. So that's inherent. We see that in Genesis chapter 1. Further in Genesis chapter 1, we see in the first verse, in the beginning God put that omnipotence to work. In the beginning God created. That's a declarative attribute. That declares God. That reveals God. We would not know about His omnipotence if He hadn't created stupendous things and told us that He created them. And we have been through this already, but I'm leading you toward relational attributes. Get ready. From the beginning in the Bible. From the beginning. He has omnipotence whether he creates or not. He creates to show his omnipotence. And every time we see some of that omnipotence, we punch the air and praise him for his power in creation. And throughout the pages of scripture, when men pray, they refer to him as the God that created heaven and earth. Because if God can create heaven and earth, then he has the omnipotence to help us in any of our little problems. Right. Well, those are the, that's the inherent attribute of God, his omnipotence. That's a declarative attribute of God that he created so that we could see it, so that it could be declared to us. And then we saw his goodness. Because throughout Genesis chapter 1, it says the Lord looked at what he created and said, it was good. It was good. So we saw the goodness of God. There were gentle things and kind things. Eve was made for Adam. That was a very good thing. The Lord would say, it is not good for the man to be alone. Thank you, Lord, for saying that. Thank you, Lord, for looking on Adam as a single man, and that is not good even when you're his friend. It can be better. 
that is a transferable or participatory or communicable attribute of God, His goodness. Because we are able to be good to others by the goodness that God has worked in our hearts. It's a fruit of the Spirit, and we can show that to others. But so, so we have the inherent attribute of omnipotence, the declarative attribute of creation, the participatory or communicable attribute of God's goodness. Now we come to the relational attributes that I want to share with you. And in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, we have this description. And I could use other verses in chapters 1, 2, and 3, but I'm using this one because I think it'll say it more loudly to you. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Inherently, inherently, part of what makes God God, He is omnipresent, meaning He's present everywhere all the time. Yet, this passage tells us that God's presence is limited and moved and came into the garden in the cool of the day and approached Adam and Eve and his voice spoke to them and asked them to come out and take a walk with him in the Garden of Eden. Because that's the relationship that God and Adam had had. They heard the voice. That is very personal. When God speaks to a man and a man can hear him talk, And in our case, we can look at a printed page where God wrote with his finger the very words that he wants us to have. They heard the voice of the Lord God, and the Lord God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. There is a place where you can go and be closer to the Lord. There is a prayer closet where you, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but there's a place where you can go and draw nigh to God. You don't draw nigh to God in the midst of all your activities. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. But I want you to notice the omnipotent Jehovah created for us to see his power, created good things to show us his goodness that we're supposed to show others, but there's a whole other level. He is personal and he talks to individual men. And those men can hear him, can understand him, and can either draw nigh to his presence or can leave his presence because he makes himself very accessible and very personal and very relational to them. And this is where I hope that when, when you think about the attributes of God when I'm done with this series, you will never forget that it goes beyond omnipotence, that it goes beyond creation, that it goes beyond his goodness, that it goes to the fact that he wants a personal relationship with his children. And he will go to pains to make it happen. And he will, he will be the one that will come into the garden and looking for two sinners named Adam and Eve. And they heard his voice and he spoke. And if you draw nigh to God and you go to a place where his presence is accessible for you, away from the noise and activities of your life, yes, he can hear you pray while you're driving your car in the midst of a traffic jam. 
But that's not when you draw nigh to God. You draw nigh to God when you can be still and can be quiet and can put away other things and can muse and can meditate and commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still, Selah. That's where you go to meet God. And when you, when you go to draw nigh to Him is in prayer, focused prayer, meditative prayer, away from all the activities. And here we have our first parents. And the God of heaven who created our first parents came down in his presence in a unique way other than his omnipresence and spoke to them and called their names. Remember, who named Adam? You know, and who who introduced himself to Adam? The Lord God did. This is what I'm trying to get to. I wanted to show you that right in the very beginning of the Bible. As you start reading this book, as you start reading this book, You know, it starts off, in the beginning, God created. Well, he's got the power to create. But though he had the power to create, he didn't have to create. He didn't need us. You, nor I, nor everyone else in this room, nor every other Christian that's ever lived in the history of the world can add one thing to God. He didn't need us, but he chose to create anyway so that we would know him a little bit better. But then he created some pretty neat things, didn't he? Some pretty kind things, some pretty good and comforting things. And then beyond that... He made a man that was a rational creature, meaning that man had feelings and thoughts and could make choices and could interact and relate to him. Inanimate matter doesn't relate to God. It'll do what God tells it to do. God can tell the sun to to follow in its course that it does at this day, or God can tell the sun to stand still. But God can speak to a man and a man can answer back. And so you can have passages like 2 Samuel chapter 7 where God and David are talking back and forth about who is going to outdo the other in giving them something. And I've already said that today, but I don't care how many times I say that one. Right. Right. Amen. That's the relational aspect of God. And it's a whole category of attributes. And these attributes are going to encourage us to know how to relate to God and to do it better and hopefully to convict us to do it and to make the effort to do it. We've already sang, come unto me. Are you coming to Christ? Are you going to him? Thank you for bearing my burdens for me. Thank you for taking the yoke upon you. Your yoke is easy. Jesus saves. He did the salvation. We don't have to bear the yoke. We don't have to bear the burden. Find rest for your souls. I just want to give you rest. I did it all. It is finished. I finished the work which thou gavest me to do. We work out the salvation which he worked in us. Amen. Now, which work do you think is the greater? To work salvation inside you or to work it out? Right. He gave it to you. All you have to do is let it show. But he had to put it into a sinful reprobate. He's done the work. Amen. Okay. Relational attributes. You say, oh, boy, I wish I could be in the Garden of Eden and have God talk to me. And walk in the cool of the evening with me? Is that what you're saying? Are you saying something like that to me? Are you kidding me? He's given you something better than hearing his voice. He's given it to you in writing. Do you like the cool of the evening? Then get out there in the cool of the evening and walk with God. Do you like the cool of the morning? Then get out there in the cool of the morning and walk with God. Do you like your deck that faces the east and sees the sun coming up? Then get out there on your deck that faces the east and talk to God. 
Do you like your prayer chair where you can go and he's on his throne and you're on your knees and you think that that's a perfect relationship and you go to him and grab hold of his ankles and talk to him and tell him how great he is and what a fool you are and can he use a fool another day? Don't tell me about getting in the cool of the evening in the Garden of Eden. You have the cool of the evening, you have the cool of the morning, you have the heat of the day, you have your closet, you have wherever you want to go. And them that draw nigh to me, I will draw nigh to them. Amen. It's that simple. He delights in us when we delight in Him. Right. And when He delights in us, it is one special relationship. And when we delight in Him, it's a special relationship. You know, we sing a song in our church that very few others sing, that if He were to send our souls to hell, His righteous law approves it well. And we belong there. And if he sent us there, we'd give him glory from that place. Okay, let's turn in our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. That was a long introduction. But you know what? All that introduction is about the approachability, the knowability, the relational aspects of God. That he's personal. The point is he's personal. And he wants to have a personal relationship, one by one, with every one of you that are his children. If you're not one of his children, he doesn't want to have a personal relationship with you. He's going to get personal glory over you. You're a vessel of dishonor. You're a vessel of wrath. And he will pour out his wrath and his power on you. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 24. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. The first relational attribute that I want to take up is jealousy. God is a jealous God. Now, this will be the roughest, maybe the hardest, if you look at it the wrong way, of his relational attributes, but I want to start with it because of that. I want us to get it out of the way and understand it is the foundation for us relating to God. He is jealous. He wants all of our love. You want all of the love of those you put your love on. And if I was to get specific and call names and talk about spouses or children, I could get you thinking that way. But you should be able to do that right now in one second. Realize, I'm jealous too. I'm possessive too. When I love and when I do good things for someone, I want them to love me back. That is how love works. Marriage works that way. Song of Solomon chapter 8 describes jealousy as being a real part of marriage. It's an overpowering part of marriage. In in Song of Solomon chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. But here this verse tells us, and remember, we start out by saying, does the Bible show us that God is jealous? It does. He is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. This verse is repeated and quoted in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 29. For our God is a consuming fire. And that little expression is attached to Paul's exhortation to the Hebrews that let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Jealousy. This may not be the most comforting relational attribute to you, but it is necessary for you to draw nigh to God because when you draw nigh to Him and you approach Him and you want to know Him, we need to come on His terms. He's already set His love on us. He wants us to love Him back. 
And when we're not loving him, and this is, this is so easy. If, if anyone sitting in this audience or anyone hearing this preaching anywhere else asks themselves or says to me, I've never had that kind of personal relationship that you're talking about. I'm telling you why right now. Right. He is a jealous God. And you have to come to him when he knows and you show him that there's nothing in this world that competes with him. That you love him more than anything else, more than anyone else, more than any activity else, more than any pleasure, more than any entertainment, more than any other object. He is the object of your affection. You get the most excited about him. You get the most emotional and passionate about him. If you choose to ignore this jealousy aspect, you'll miss on drawing nigh to God. Because the first commandment that he gives us is thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. He wants everything. He deserves everything. He's given everything. What more do you want him to give towards you? He gave his son. You haven't given your son. Heavenly Father, help us. Jealousy is the state of mind that arises from the suspicion the apprehension or the knowledge of rivalry. God has no rivals. And He wants you to show that every day in your life, that nothing else matters to you as much as knowing Him. If you make that real in your life by you telling Him that, He can He can understand. He can search your heart. He will be accept that, and He will draw nigh to you. He is very approachable. But we approach Him by loving Him back for the love He's set upon us. It's the fear of being supplanted in the affection of another person. It's the distrust of the fidel- it's the distrust of the fidelity or the loyalty of a beloved person. It's having a love which will not tolerate any unfaithfulness or defection. And God has a love for us and wants a love from us. He will not tolerate us being disloyal or being unfaithful. He's a jealous God. He is a possessive God. He made us and He saved us. There's two good reasons why we owe Him everything. Look at Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. This is simple. And it should be kept simple. And you should come away from it with simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God is simple, simple in his perfections. He is not like the trillion of Hindu deities. He's one. Exodus 34 and verse 14, look at how jealous God is. For thou shalt worship no other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Now this is in the midst of a description of the nations and their religions that occupied the land of Canaan that the Israelites were going to drive out. And when they drove them out, they were not to inquire about how those nations served their gods, nor were they to allow any of their images or houses of worship to remain, neither were they to engage in any marriages of their children with the children of the inhabitants of that land, because God was jealous. And His name is Jealous. And every time you get excited about something in your life, or every time you get disappointed about something in your life because knowing God is not enough to keep you excited. Are you following me when I said that? 
If anything else excites you in your life, then God has a rival. If anything disappoints you in your life so that you can't be content and happy because you have a relationship with God, that's a rival. Why are you disappointed when God is your friend? Because your wife left you? Praise the Lord! You'll have more time for Him. I I didn't mean that altogether without some explanation. But I hope you all understood what I meant. If we get too, if we get more excited or we spend more time or there's more passion involved in something else than God, He has a rival. He's jealous. If we get disappointed, discontent with our lives, frustrated because we don't have such and such or because something happens to us, God sends a little trial into our life and we're not content with God, then He has a rival. There's something else more important to us. And because it was taken away or because we're a little frustrated about it right now, we're not happy with God. It says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. How can I be content with such things as I have if I don't have very much? And Paul didn't have very much. Because he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. On that grounds, God knows he doesn't have a rival. No matter what I take away from them, they sing my praises in prison. Paul and Silas. No matter what I give them, victory from all enemies and astounding riches and tribute from all neighboring nations. David sits in his house and says, this isn't fair. I need to build God a house with my extra time and my money. Do You see, in both cases, God was everything to them. Don't set your heart upon riches. Trust in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. God can put more joy in our hearts with dry saltine crackers than in the time that their corn and their wine increase. Do you know that about God? Do you believe that? Does He know that you know that about Him? Does He know that you think that about Him, that you would rather have Him than anything else? That he could strip you naked and take away all financial means and leave you broken, poor, and crushed. And you would still sing his praise. Job said in one, in one place, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Do you want to know God and approach God? This is how you approach him. He knows this about you. He knows that of all the people on the planet, you love him more than the rest. Simon Barjona, Lovest thou me more than these? Oh, what a question. Jesus wasn't asking Simon Peter, do you love me more than you love the other ten? Jesus was asking Simon Peter, do you love me more than the other ten love me? That's a serious question. I'm asking you right now. Who loves the Lord the most? He's a jealous God. Right. You can tell from this passage and you can tell from reading the whole Bible, and I don't need to, need to make any more mention of it, that worshiping other gods was very offensive to him. That's about as offensive as it could get for you to be bowed down to some statue of stone or wood or the sun or a green tree and worship it. Right. Disgusting. 
And so he mocks it throughout the pages of Scripture and he calls it spiritual adultery and whoredom because he picked you to be his wife, but you are not faithful. You get too excited about other things. And when we get too excited about other things, we are flirting with the world and the world is his enemy. The world killed his son, Jesus of Nazareth. Does he, what does he know about you? Does he just know it on the Lord's day? Does he know that personal communion between you and God is the most precious, special, favorite thing you do? You say, I don't know how to do it. Then go in your prayer closet and just tell him you love him and tell him some of the great things he's done. Tell him that you are hoping in his mercy. Tell him that you fear him and want to keep his commandments. And if he will show you what commandments you're not keeping, you'll keep them. If he'll open the pages of scripture to you, you will delight in the things that he shows you. Just go to him. Draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Turn your laughing and your frivolity of this generation into mourning and sadness. Repent of your sins and go to him. He'll confess. He'll forgive. He can be found. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. He can be found easily. He's very approachable. He wants to relate to his children. The problem, it's not that his arm is shortened, nor his ear stopped up, but our sins have separated between us and God. So get rid of whatever is offending him. Look at Numbers chapter 25, another example of idol worship offending God greatly. How many Davids are there in the Bible? One. Have there been other men like David? We'll assume so. Who likes to be average? Who wants to be mediocre? Who thinks that being ranked number 60 in Division I college football teams is good stuff? Who We should want to be a David. Right. That's why there's so much told about David. We know more about him than any other ten men. We know more about the thoughts of his heart and his mind. He has expressed his grief. He's expressed his praise. It's all there in the Bible. We get to see his life from when he was a teenage boy to his deathbed. We get to read his death word, deathbed statements. You got those for Abraham, for Moses, for Paul, for John? It's all there. David's on the pages for us. Every one of you, doesn't matter your age, and it doesn't matter your sex, can be like David. Right. Numbers 25 and verse 11. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel, while he was zealous for my sake among them, that I consume not the children of Israel in my jealousy. They had fallen into false worship because of the Moabite women that had been brought into their camp, and they were fornicating with these Moabite women that had led them into false worship. And Eliezer, the Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, was zealous enough to take a javelin and to go into a tent where two people were fornicating and to run his javelin through both of their bodies. That's what this chapter is about. This man Phinehas had zeal to protect the jealousy of the Lord 
by putting those two fornicators out of commission. The rest of the people wanted to stand around and pray about it, but Phinehas did something about it, and the Lord gave him a blessing that would last forever. Verse 12, Wherefore, behold, I give unto him my covenant of peace, and he shall have it, and his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made an atonement for the children of Israel. Are you that worked up and committed about the the, the Lord himself and about the body of truth he's given us? We had a brother get up in this pulpit and talk about his commitment and his love for the body of truth that the Lord has shown us. And I expect blessings on him for doing that. Do every one of you care? I have another brother from New Zealand with a book in front of me lying here on this platform that you should take a look at. He is zealous for the Lord of hosts' sake and for the truth's sake. Do you get angry? Do you hold a line and say, that's ridiculous? That's retarded? That's heresy? I'm not going there. Are you afraid to call anyone a baby-sprinkling heretic, no matter how highly esteemed they might be? That's out of love for the truth, and God is jealous for His truth. And we should be zealous for His cause. That makes all the... Look at the difference in this man's family. I can't even fully tell you exactly how the Lord fulfilled it, but I can tell you this with complete confidence. God kept His promise to Phinehas. He shall, I I make with him a covenant of everlasting priesthood. Does that sound pretty good? That God makes with you a covenant of an everlasting priesthood? He shall have it and his seed after him. A covenant of peace because he was zealous. And we can find in Psalm 106 verses 30 and 31 where it talks about Phinehas. That he was a justified man. And he showed his justified condition before God. We have, we have lives, we have jobs, we have callings, we have duties, we have spouses, we have children, we have things that distract us, and the Lord knows all that. Praise His glorious name. He knows we have limited energy, limited emotion, limited time, limited memory. But, within those limitations, what place do we give Him? How much priority does He get? Right. What are your priorities? Jordan, you're a blessing to me. You know why you're a blessing. You're here right now. No one else is bad or in trouble, but I saw the choice you made. And you're here so early, I can't beat you anymore getting here. That's a blessing. You delight in him. You'd be the greatest woman that's ever walked this planet. Anything less than that, and I'm disappointed in me and in you. Because we're going to stand before the Lord and give an account. You're going to give an account for you, and I'm going to give an account for me and you. You can be like a David. Every one of you girls and women in here can be like David. We start out with the fact that God is jealous, meaning he is possessive, meaning he wants all your love, meaning he wants no rivals, he wants no competitors. And when we let anything compete with him, we are spiritual adulterers, we are spiritual fornicators, And adultery and fornication is about the most painful thing that you can do to anyone else. And God uses that for good measure and for good reason. Knowing that God is jealous, what effect should it have on us? I'm skipping over many, many verses, but you should know that about the Bible, that it says that God is jealous. It should tell us that the first commandment is very simple. And I've already quoted it once, at least. If you turn over a few pages to Deuteronomy chapter 6, we can find... 
its occurrence in the law of Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 6. The first and the great commandment is total passion for God. He will be there for anyone that loves him. Oh, it says in Jeremiah 29 and verse 13, If ye seek after me with your whole heart, I shall be found of you. Oh, in Isaiah chapter 58, it tells us that if we will clean up our lives and we will seek him with a pure heart and a righteous life, he will say to us, here I am. Wow, here I am. No, that can't be in the Bible. The God with all the inherent attributes and all the declarative attributes and all the participatory communicable attributes That God would say, here I am. Absolutely. Remember Isaiah 58? You loved that chapter 10 years ago. I'm not saying you don't now, brother. I I want you to love it more than you'd loved it 10 years ago. I want to love it more than you love it. And I want you to want to love it more than I love it. And between the twixt of us, we'll lick the platter clean. As they say about Jack Spratt and his wife. Never mind if you haven't heard it. It doesn't matter one bit. We want, we want to excel, and we want to push each other. We want to exhort each other to love the Lord more. We want to relate to Him. We want to have a personal relationship with Him. When you're on your deathbed, I don't want you to need us around. I, I, I really want to be a distraction. And you can say, thank you very much. Bye-bye. Because you have a relationship with someone that can't be seen in that room that's far better than I can give you. You won't hear David in 2 Samuel chapter 23 talking about Bathsheba being there to comfort him on the way out. He didn't need Bathsheba holding his hand, though I hope she was holding his hand. Because he said, although my house, you know what I see, what he said. I just like to quote it because it gives, it's, it's music to my ears. Okay. He hath made with me an everlasting covenant ordered in all things and sure, for this is all my salvation, all my desire, although he make it not to grow. That is a man dying in peace, though his family was a mess. How can you die in peace when your family's a mess? When you lie in your bed at the age of 70 and realize that your life is a wreck when you look at your family tree? Because of 2 Samuel chapter 7, where God said, I'm going to establish your throne, your your throne. I'm going to establish your kingdom forever. You mean God called his kingdom David's kingdom and God called his throne David's throne? Yes. That's why his son is called the son of David. That's dying in peace, though your family tree's a mess. One of the worst fathers in the Bible, David. You say, how could God relate to him when he was such a failure as a father? Because God is merciful and long-suffering and patient like I've already taught you before we get to this point. That's why Samson, Jephthah, and Gideon are in Hebrews chapter 11. Look at Psalm 86. And one young man in this church should know where I'm going. Psalm 86, who gave us this psalm last week. Psalm 86. In verse 11, give me a few more minutes of your time. We're not going to get past jealousy. But everything I've talked about is approaching him, knowing him, and having a relationship with him. 
Genesis 1.1 is beautiful, and it shows the omnipotence and the declarative attribute of creation. Genesis chapter 1, the whole chapter with all the good things God created, shows us that communicable attribute of goodness. But when we get to chapter 3, when we see God in chapter 2 relating to Adam personally, when we see him speaking to Cain, he's a personal God. And if we draw nigh to him, and if we go to him with our whole heart, he will be found of us. He will be found. He will say, here I am. Psalm 86 and verse 11 is the problem. Teach me thy way, O Lord. There's only one way to worship the Lord. Teach me thy way. That's God's way. There's not multiple ways to heaven. All different religions aren't just different roads to God. There's only one God. There's only one way to worship him. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. There's only one truth that... That second person, singular pronoun thy, means there's only one under consideration. I will walk in thy truth, unite my heart to fear thy name. Our problem is we have divided hearts. Our heart gets involved in this over here, and our heart gets involved in this over here. We have to get involved in things. We're supposed to love our spouses. We're supposed to love our children. We're supposed to love our neighbor. But the comparison, there's no comparison. One is far superior to the other. And it's shown by the choices we make and the priorities we make. We always put God first. And the Lord knows. But we just don't put Him first by showing up here and warming the foam rubber. We put Him first by having Him first in our hearts. I want to be there. I want to be there to hear God's words preached. I want to be there to hear to hear prayers made. I want to be there to see His power and glory as I have seen Him in the sanctuary. I want to be there to sing His praise. I want to be there with His people. So, Lord, and this is a prayer we need to make, and you've heard it before, and you heard it last Sunday, unite, bring together those wandering parts of my heart, bring them together and unite them into one cause, one overriding purpose that drives my life. The fear of thy name. And that is not afraid of God's name. That is reverential respect and a desire to please and to love that great God that we serve. This is what we need. Look at Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah 32. There is no higher purpose for your whole life. What is your purpose for your life? To work for some company for 50 years, get a gold watch and get buried? Listen, I'll buy you a gold watch and bury you this afternoon. We can save all the time. Is it just to get married and to have kids? We can do better than that. I I didn't mean anything bad by that either. But we can do better than that. Do you know why you would want it? There's only one reason to have children. To praise the Lord. To have your own little congregation. What other reason do you want them for? Why do we have a job? So we can find personal fulfillment in it? The Lord will give us personal fulfillment in our jobs because godliness with contentment is great gain. And knowing that he is with us, everything becomes pleasant and gives us contentment. But why do we have a job? In order to be able to make enough money to be able to build him a house and to be able to give to those in need. This is what the Bible says in both Testaments. Everything is ordered in priority 
by our love of God. Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 39, the Lord promised in, in his covenant relationship with his church, I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them. Oh, look at the blessings that are attached in the second half of that verse. But look at the promises in the first half of the verse. I will give them one heart and one way. And if you're sitting in this assembly and if you're born again today, God has done great things for you. Put those things to work. He has worked in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He takes pleasure in you. Give him that pleasure. Can you find the little book of Hosea? Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, chapter 10. Hosea, chapter 10. God is jealous because he deserves all of our love. He, he asks for all of our love. He commands all of our love. There's no better one to love. Nothing can compare with his love. He should be able to give you excitement and delight to your soul that you can't find anywhere else. And when you're away, you're miserable. When you're out of fellowship with Him and He's not first, you're miserable. Life is frustrating. I'm just never content. And it's very simple. He's no longer first in your life. Jeremiah, Hosea, Hosea, forgive me. Hosea chapter 10 verse 2. This is God speaking in judgment against Israel. Their heart is divided. Is your heart divided? Now shall they be found faulty. When you have a divided heart, you are at fault. That is a faulty way to live. You excited about going to your job? Are you more excited about going to your job than you are to come into the house of God? Are you more excited about getting a paycheck or reading a verse of scripture from 2 Samuel chapter 7? Their heart is divided. Now shall they be found faulty. He shall break down their altars. He shall spoil their images. They had turned away from the true and living God. The well of all true waters and had turned to false gods. It was a faulty way of living. This was the church. And I want to tell you something. They're lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. We live in the perilous times of the last days. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, all the way to chapter 4, verse 4. We live in them. And it's not all outside our walls. It comes after us every day of our lives to be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. To have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof, the authority of that God to order the priorities of our lives. It's all around us. Everybody wants to have a good time and be a Christian. In that order. Now they don't like to put it in that order, but that's the order they put on it. You can tell by their lives. That's why I say the things I do about successful Christian businessman. If God makes you successful, but you, and you're a Christian, and you happen to be a businessman, then praise the Lord. He's been kind to you. But to set as your life goal a successful Christian businessman, I can see immediately that you have your priorities out of order. You make being a Christian, get the word businessman off it, a successful Christian, and I don't mean financially, I mean pleasing the Lord. The Lord will take care of all the rest. Oh, Abraham was a rich man. Job was a rich man. David was a rich man. Solomon was a rich man. Why did, David, why did Solomon get riches? Because he said, Give me wisdom and understanding heart that I may go in and out before this thy so great a people in a way that's pleasing to you. 
We want to always put the Lord first. That's what His jealousy means. And if we're going to approach unto Him and relate to Him, He wants us to come with Him first. And you say, well, that's that's kind of egotistical and demanding and possessive. Amen, amen, and amen to all three words. And I mean them in a reverential, sacred way toward Him. Oh, knowing God's jealousy should curtail our sinful activities in order to obtain His approving favor. We should cut back on those things that offend Him until they are zero and replace them with things that He delights in. He delights in us delighting in the things He's given us. He delights in us delighting in our spouses. He delights in us delighting in our children. He delights in us delighting in our jobs. And we're doing them unto the Lord. Whatsoever therefore you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Did you know you can eat or drink to the glory of God? Are you thankful for what's in that cup before you drink it? Do you tell him that you're thankful for what's in that cup before you drink it? Do you tell someone else, do you know why this is so good? Because God is so good that he made it so good. Right. Because you're always talking, whatsoever therefore you do, do all to the glory of God. Therefore, if it's drinking a cup someplace that would bring dishonor to him, we don't go in that place, nor do we touch their cup. Yes, it's separating from the world so that we can be the Lord's. Because to be a friend of the world is to be the enemy of God. James chapter 4 and verse 4 tells us that. It's appropriate for you to be jealous. Who was jealous in Numbers 25? Phinehas was jealous. Husbands are jealous in the Bible. There's no test of jealousy for a wife to pull on her husband because wives don't have a right to jealousy like a husband has. Been over that before. That's Numbers chapter 5. Go read it for yourself. Verses 11 through 31, 20 verses long. Because the man wasn't made for the woman. So what rights do you have to lay claim to him? The woman was made for the man. It's altogether different throughout the pages of Scripture from cover to cover. Jealousy. We should be jealous. Who was jealous in Numbers 25? Phinehas was jealous. Who was jealous in 1 Kings 19? Elijah was jealous. Look at 1 Kings 19. We can and should be jealous toward each other. We should want to pluck each other out of the fire when we see us getting involved too much in the things of this world and pull us out. Look what Elijah is saying as as the Lord is talking to him. The Lord said to him in verse 13, What doest thou here, Elijah? Is God personal? How about 1 Kings 19.13? What doest thou here, Elijah? (laughs) That's pretty personal. And he said back in verse 14, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Okay, so who was jealous in 1 Kings 19? Elijah was jealous. What was he jealous for? The Lord of hosts' sake. Do you get upset about God not being worshipped the way that he should be? Do you get upset about truth not going out of the pulpits of this country? Do you get upset about it? How upset do you get about it? And what do you do about it? What are you doing in your family? What are you doing in your own heart? What are you doing in your own home? What are you doing to help build this church up in the, in the ways of the truth that the Lord's given us? We can be jealous, and we should be. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I know I said I was almost done a few minutes ago, but I'm more almost done now. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Look at who's, who was jealous in 2 Corinthians 11. The Apostle Paul was jealous. You know, the more jealous you are for the Lord's sake, 
the more pleased he is with you and the closer you're going to be able to draw nigh to him. Because he knows that you have his best interests in mind at all times, like David. Have you ever read David in Psalm 101, verses 3 through 8, where he goes through a list of all these different kinds of sins that a friend of his might have, and he said, Out! 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 I won't have anything to do with them. They shall depart from me. I don't need them. I don't want them. Because he knew that blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. And he, he separated himself because he was jealous for the Lord's sake and for righteousness' sake. And the more jealous you are for the Lord's sake, that is more pleasing to God, and he is more pleased with you. And you may draw nigh to him, and he will draw nigh to you. Verse 1 of Second Corinthians 11, Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly. You know, as foolish as Paul sounds here, I sound in this sermon. Would to God ye could bear with me, your pastor, a little in my folly. And indeed, bear with me. It sounds folly to the world, but wisdom is justified of her children. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, and I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. I worry and fret and am jealous over every one of you. When I hear you going someplace, doing something, don't show up for an assembly. You're going to visit relatives that I know that are not fully converted. I worry. I pray, I trust, I fret, I'm jealous. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. Paul was afraid of the Corinthians that they were so weak that they would go off and run into other people believing other things and be moved by those things and bear with them. We shouldn't bear with false doctrine. We need to earnestly contend, that is to fight passionately for the faith once delivered to the saints. Godly fathers like Abraham or Joshua jealously guard their family priorities. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Does God take care of a man like Joshua? Amen. Seventy cities, seven nations in five years. Yes. How about Abraham? I know him, that he will command his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. So let's go down and talk to Abraham about what we're going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah. And so God came down, met him in the door of his tent. Does that, is that, do you like that in Genesis chapter 18? Yeah. Met him in the door of his tent and then took off and started walking towards Sodom and talking about what they were going to do to Sodom. And Abraham, it says, drew near. I'm sorry if I turn it into my own little movie. I don't want to watch Hollywood's version of Abraham. I see, I've seen one where he goes out and screams and blames God for asking him to sacrifice Isaac. And that's a, bu- that's a bunch of baloney. Right. Amen. And I was just very kind. Remember that sometime. Amen. Abraham drew near. Wilt thou slay the righteous with the wicked? Right. How can a man talk like that to God? Right. When the Almighty God is talking about destroying a place as wicked as Sodom and Gomorrah, how can a man walk up to him and say, Wilt thou destroy the righteous with the wicked? Did it work? Yes, Yes, it worked. From 50 to 40 to 30 to 20 to 10. 
You can relate to God. You can draw nigh to Him. He will draw nigh to you. May the Lord take these scattered introductory remarks about His jealousy and about His relational attributes and make you think about Adam and Eve in Eden. Make you think about Abraham in Genesis chapter 18. Make you think about James in James 4, 8, where he said, draw nigh to me and I will draw nigh to you. That is the God we serve. He is our Father. And my brethren, He has made us members of His family. He did not make the angels members of His family, nor did He make the cherubim and seraphim that are around His throne members of His family. He has made us joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to relate to us. He wants to please us. He wants to take pleasure in us. He wants us to take pleasure in Him and all of us be a happy family. That is what God has called us to be. This great God, with all of his inherent, declarative, and communicable attributes, he also has a bunch of relational attributes. He's very jealous because he deserves all of our love. Let's not let anything get between him and us this day, this week, by the power of the Holy Ghost, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.